Welcome to that 80 show. Come and knock on our door. We've been waiting for you. Three's company too. And this week, there are three of us. <laughs> there are. You know, speaking of Three's Company, um, I still have not been able to find the rumored episode where Mr. Furley finally comes out of the closet. Oh, oh what fun. <laughs> Terrible. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how Mr. Furley was so fun and he's obviously closeted. Can you imagine so him? Camp. He was oh. the campus character. He was the best. Um, that 80 show, starting off finally with the Human League, the Lebanon <laughs> We've been trying to play this song for three weeks now. <laughs> Keep running out of time. Sorry, Human League, you don't matter anymore. <laughs> and they're going, don't you want me, baby? And we don't know. Want you next week, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so this is that 80s show, the show that has its finger on the pulse. If mm. that pulse was 1987. Um, mm. Fun show today. Lots coming up. Uh, D-Ream, uh, more of a 90s band. But yeah. uh, had some success in the 80s. And you and Barrett spoke to them a few weeks ago. We'll be playing that out today. Nice guys, hey? Very nice guys. You know, I am a sucker for an Irish accent. Mm. Mm. <laughs> very, <laughs> very cool guys. Just like guys that grew up in a club. And you can see they, 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 <laughs> they like to party. Nice guys. You'll be hearing a little bit of that later. Plus the chart savant with his savantish ways. <gasps> it makes sense. Mm. It makes sense. Just before we came on... We had a few technical issues, but mm-hmm. of course, the chart savant. Yeah, he just Mes- messing with the electronics. Yep. Messes with all the electronics. So he's coming up a little bit later. But listen, big news. Big news today, 3rd of September, the Hoff's new album, Party Your Hassle Hoff, is out. <laughs> that title never gets old. <laughs> it's there on my Spotify. It's ready to play. I haven't listened to it yet. I'm mm-hmm. saving it where I'm not going to be interrupted. It's ready to go. We've been, some people will say we've been treated. Others will be say we've been subjected to. Uh, <laughs> to, to, to foisted, foisted upon, perhaps. <laughs> Maybe I'm developing some sort of Stockholm syndrome, but uh, the two songs we've heard from the album so far is Sweet Caroline, the Neil Diamond mm. uh, song that he covered, and The Passenger. An Iggy um, Pop song that he covered. David Hasselhoff covers Iggy Pop, a sentence I never thought I would say, sober. Mm. And um, so he does that. The new album's out. It's going to be a good time. It is going to be a fun time for everybody, especially for the show. <laughs> well, we know what you're going to be partying off this weekend. Oh, so much, so much. I will be hassle off this. I don't even know how to make that work. I don't know. But uh, while I was sitting there on my Google News Alert tab, refreshing, 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 refreshing to get the latest David Hasselhoff news, I found something of Mm -hmm. David Hasselhoff that I didn't quite know. So superhero movies between probably like Batman in 1989 and the first Iron Man in the late 2000s were like no one knew what to do with them, right? So I think everyone suspected superheroes were big. They were putting big budget behind them, but no one really knew. It was a weird time for superhero movies. Of course, now superhero movies are the biggest things. I did not know. Now, you know, in uh, Marvel, there's a character called uh, Nick Fury. Do you know him? No, I'm not a a Marvel person. Okay. I'll be honest, I don't know him. It's fine. Well, you will... Definitely know Samuel L. Jackson. That I do. Right. So Samuel L. Jackson plays Nick Fury. Okay. And um, basically what's happened in a lot of these Marvel properties is that, uh, like with same with Robert Downey Jr., his likeliness has taken over as what uh, Tony Stark and Iron Man looks like. And Samuel L. Jackson is now what Nick Fury looks like across everything. Games, the comic, TV series, obviously the main movie, Lego characters, He's Samuel L. Jackson now. So we only know a Nick Fury looks like Samuel Jackson, or this is what's been retconned. But in 1998, there was a TV show. I'd never heard of this TV show before. It was uh, about, it was called Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. If you're any sort of comic book fan, you would know about that. The, 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 the S.H.I.E.L.D. and they, they did um, a later version of S.H.I.E.L.D. But David Hasselhoff played Nick Fury in this Complete with eye patch because Nick Fury was an eye patch. 
Okay. Oh, what a glorious image we have of David Hasselhoff playing Nick Fury. He wanted so bad to be Nick Fury that when he started hearing that the Marvel movies were in the works, he just went to go beg. He was like, please, I've got to be Nick Fury. I've got past. I know the character. I'm into him. The yeah. thought of a David Hasselhoff in Avengers movies. I mean, everyone's in a superhero movie these days, right? Yeah. Of course, if you're a superhero movie or David Hasselhoff pedant, you would, as I said that right, pedant, didn't sound right when it came out of my mouth. It, it doesn't sound right when like you when, said it. Like when know. you pedantic, <laughs> because it's not a pedant. It's pe- you don't say pedant, pedant. so it, it must be pedant. A, a nerd. It, it, sounds, it sounds bad when you say it. I don't know, it it's, it's bad. you. If you're a nerd of either David Hasselhoff or Avengers, you would know that David Hasselhoff did make an appearance in one of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies um, when uh, one of the characters, Peter Quill, uh, was discovered who his biological father was. They had a little bit of a joke that the biological father had taken on the form of David Hasselhoff uh, to cover his identity. So he's already been in the Marvel Universe, but I like to imagine more of David Hasselhoff, just more of David Hasselhoff in our lives. I think you cannot get enough. Well, you can't. No, I love him. Dory. I love him so much. So, uh, that Eddie show, we love movies. And Dory, Dory pulled off the best stunt, actually. I was thinking about this for the first time in years. Dory convinced her parents to pay for her to go to university and watch movies. <laughs> I know, hey? How well, good was that? that? That is phenomenal level of Except shenanigans. I paid for my university. I had a student loan, which I oh. had to pay off. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, then, but still. That's still, still. Still. <laughs> Then fool, like, fool on you, you paid. <laughs> well, how does it work? So you paid for yourself to go watch a movie. Anyway, Dory knows movies. She studied them. She understands them. She gets the nuance. And she's going to regale us now with her movie recommendation or movie avoidation of the week. It is a recommendation. Yes. And I want to say thanks again to the random movie generator. You know, It really works. You know, we mentioned this um <laughs> Uh, a few weeks ago, right? We found this gen- movie generator, right? Where you basically put in a genre, a movie, a year, and you just click calculate or whatever. And it will give you recommendations of 80s movies or any, mo- any movie action. Well, you can choose the era, yeah. yeah. You can yeah. choose the era. I, I don't know if that's true because I never looked further down. But you can... So, so this is what Dory's referring to. And what a handy little tool to... Um, find movies for us yeah look i mean it, it took two attempts this time ah. last time it was like first thing i put in something came up and i was like cool let's go with that which was good morning vietnam a movie from last week yes um this time i kind of put in a genre and all the results that came up were like okay i have seen these or never heard of them it was like a mixture of the most <laughs> obscure things I that i've never heard of and then oh yeah i've seen that seen that seen that, seen that. so then i thought okay let me try a different genre and what i did was i actually thought you know let, let me go with a genre that I don't generally like dra- gravitate towards. I don't watch a lot of action movies these days, but in my youth, yes. I watched a few action movies. So I thought, you know what? Let me try action. Let's see what comes up. Oh. I mean, you know, we have discussed Cobra on this show, <sighs> probably the best action movie from the eighties. Fight me on that. Well, in okay, action- the is in there as well, but. <laughs> Well, I was going to say Roadhouse, speaking of fighting. <laughs> True. Uh, okay. So There's many-, many great action movies from the 80s. And I did used to watch them a little, like more when I was younger. American so Ninjas. Ninja. Kickboxers. Oh my, oh, my God. So many. No, American Ninja. Michael Dudikoff. Oh, these are the best. You, you remember <laughs> how we got so excited as kids in the 80s when they told us that one of the American Ninjas was shot here? And then like everybody had, oh, I saw Michael Dudikoff at Cresta. Or my dad took me to go see Michael Dudikoff. It's like, you're lying. <laughs> lying bastard. Old red ninja, I you mean, right off the street. how could you find a random blonde with a mullet in Cresta and know that it was definitely Michael Dudikoff? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> 80s kids were dirty liars and Satanists. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I thought, let me try action. And something came up that was like, oh my goodness, I freaking loved this movie. And we have 100% not done it on the show. Oh, so great. So excited. You, you probably know it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to guess that you know this one. I'll tell you, it stars Michael Douglas, Andy Garcia. Ooh. Handsome, hey. handsome mm, cast so mm. far. Beautiful, gorgeous. K 
Kate Capshaw, who is better mm-hmm. known as Steven Spielberg's wife or ex-wife. I'm not sure if they're still together. I think right. they're still together. <laughs> and then a bunch of Japanese people. Okay. <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt their names. A lot of Japanese people. Because the majority of this movie takes place in Japan. Okay. Now, I remember seeing this movie on the big screen, and it was really good. Um, I was very impressed by it at the time. There were a couple of scenes that were very haunting. Okay. And I was reminded of them when I was um, reading through the synopsis and reminding myself about the film because I have not watched it again. But I remember parts of it very, very well. And there are a couple of scenes that were quite harrowing. But we'll get to that. Right. Um, do you want to play us the, the trailer there, Paolo? Because the trailer is so 80s. You, you've got to play at least the beginning because it's just it's that 80s voiceover movie guy. Oh, oh my God. I love him. Strap in. <laughs> A New York City cop. <laughs> on the trail of a killer. <laughs> From the back alleys of Manhattan. Well, our victims are certainly Yakuza. To the streets of Japan. Because of your negligence, a man we wanted for a long time has been lost. Now, come on, we'll take some of the heat for this, but we're not taking the rap. Rap? You see, there's a war going on here between Sato and an old-time boss named Sugai. And they don't take prisoners. So where's your boss? This isn't New York. We have rules here. I've seen Sato's work, okay? He ain't following your program. You are foreigners. Nothing more than interested observers. No one's gonna help a Kaijin. Kaijin. You're a barbarian, a foreigner. Me and you. More you. Try to work like a Japanese. Now, this is good. This ain't money. You got a counterfeiting war going on, guys. You are civilians here. It is illegal for you to carry a gun. <laughs> Something tells me we should cut our losses and let the locals handle it around here. I can't go back without them, Charlie. So I got a feeling, um, big fan of the show, uh, big fan of having the same surname as me, Louis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a feeling that's one of his all-time favorites. I've got distinct memories of seeing it at his, his house. Um, because one thing you undersold, and maybe you're going to talk about it. I am. Michael Douglas's hair. <laughs> I wasn't going to talk about that. Christ. It is yeah. glorious. It is glorious in this movie. It is, <laughs> it is glorious. <laughs> So the movie is Black Rain. Um, mm. Before you get into it, Dory, you know that movie trailer guy? I remember back in the day when you and I were working at radio stations, I tried to find him and track him down uh, to do our promos and things like that. And he, I'd found he had just recently passed away. So yes, I, I remember that. Yeah, it would have been my dream to have him voice some of the stuff we did. But he had just recently passed away. I can't remember the name now. Um, I will find it. Uh, but Dory, Black Rain, t- that's a great movie. It really, really is. You know, I had never heard of the Yakuza before that movie. Yeah. Yes, I remember yes. after that movie, I became obsessed. I kind of started researching. I wanted to know everything about the Yakuza. I was like, oh, my goodness. But that is the Japanese mafia, by the way. Yes. And it was like, oh, my God. I literally became obsessed. So it kind of opened up this whole, you know, Japanese underworld thing for me. Um, there, there's a couple of scenes that... I mean, it's not like they've been haunting me all these years, but as soon as I kind of delved back into this film, they came rushing right back into my brain. There's two very graphic scenes in this movie. I'm not going to, I don't want to give too many spoilers, but there's a scene where a guy gets decapitated. Oh God. And it's very hectic, very hectic with a samurai sword. Yes. And then there's another scene where a guy cuts his own finger off. Okay. It's like a, 
like a mafia punishment thing that he has to do. He has to cut his own finger off. And both these scenes are on YouTube. <laughs> They're pretty graphic. <laughs> wow. I will share the links on Facebook. Watch them if you dare. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was pretty, it was a pretty hectic film. And I mean, it I came out in yes. 1989. So yes. chances are I might've seen it in 1990 when it eventually got here. I would have been 16, 17. Mm. You know, it's like, whew. I, I remember those scenes very clearly. So it clearly made an impact. I do remember it being one of those movies that was like, I mean, yeah, so 1989, I was nine, 10, probably by the time I started circulating video stores. And I remember it was one of those that was like, I mean, we were allowed to watch pretty much anything we wanted in the, in the 80s. Our parents yeah. didn't quite understand. But like, I remember it was one of the movies that was like, yo, yo I saw some things. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so it's pre- it's pretty graphic, but it's really good. And I mean, it's got the strangest ending. <laughs> I'm I'm still not entirely sure what to make of the ending, but um, it's you know what I think it's it's still worth a watch. And I mean, in terms of like the cinematography and stuff, the, mm, the, I left out the most shot. important fact, which is that this movie is directed by Ridley Scott. Oh, well, so you can see that, yeah. The, the most, I mean, so actually visually, it is stunning. Yeah. Wow! Yeah, listen, that that is a top class movie. Michael Douglas's hair is a thing <laughs> to behold. Uh, black, oh, good movie, Dory. Very good movie. Very good oh, movie. Why? Thank you. Why? Thank you. <laughs> We're on a roll, yeah. Mm-hmm. On a roll with good movies, Dory. Did you wake up this morning thinking that you're going to hear the names Michael J. Fox, Bruce Springsteen, and Joan Jett in the same sentence? Nope. I have a movie for you. Wow. So we're in the halftime show of Michael J. Fox between the Back to the Future movie, right? So if you're new to that 80s show, there's been a bit of a debate about, oh, Back to the Future 2 is way better, the be- way the better Back to the Future movie. It's the only Back to the Future movie where they go Back to the Future it's so much more imaginative. Back to the Future 1 sets it up very nicely. I'm tired of having those arguments, right? And I'm tired of, you know, having to let people down. But as we've, there's lots of documentaries on Netflix about Back to the Future. We've come to learn that Back to the Future was actually intended to be one movie. One and two was meant to be one, one movie, right? I mean, I can't imagine. No, but you can. If you watch, <laughs> knowing that, right? If you yeah. watch the two movies together... You go, this movie is one movie, right? But at the time, the studios were like, nobody is sitting watching three-hour movies. Forget it. Where today, you're lucky if a movie is three hours. <laughs> Goddamn Space Jam was three hours, okay? So, um, but back then. So if you watch Back to the Future as one movie, it's yeah, great movie. So I'm um, over one and two, Back to the Future, greatest movie, even though the second part is a little bit better than the first. But anyway, <laughs> we're gonna, I don't want to get into that. So um, that's why I'm keeping quiet. We're not getting into it. <laughs> Michael J. Fox, 1987 was between this period. Yeah. So Michael J. Fox, obviously we know him, Alex Keaton from Family Ties. We know him from uh, Back to the Future, Teen Wolf. Uh, he mm-hmm. was a scamp, a rogue, a lovable boy next door. He's a little bit cheeky, but we all love him. Uh, mainly comedic roles. So he decides for this movie, he said, you know what? I want to... Try some serious acting. It's time to get away from sitcom, boy next door, I want to try something out. And who better to show that you're a serious actor than star alongside Joan Jett? Okay. Right. So it's a little movie called Light of Day. (gasps) I loved that movie. (laughs) That movie came at the height of my Michael J. Fox obsession. And in that movie, I remember his hair was long and he wore an earring. Oh, my God. That's how bad yes. boy he was. And he smoked. Oh, and my God. I love, I was obsessed with that movie. Good, so I you can't know. believe I didn't realize when you like said the two names earlier. I mean, Joan Jett is a pretty, pretty big giveaway. <laughs> so, so, yes, in this movie, Michael J. Fox, but the story is him and Joan Jett are brother and sister and they want to be rock stars. But mm-hmm. what happens is Joan Jett, because she's had a bit of a bad time, she decides, you know what? I've got a young son. My mother's dying. I've had enough of everything. I'm going to throw everything into being a rock star. Where Michael J. Fox is kind of like, I want to be a rock star as well, but 
I've got these commitments, right? I've got, you know, my nephew who I love, like a son and my mother, and we've got jobs, and can we really do this? Mm. And it's the friction between the two um, over one wants to go full on into being a rock star and Michael J. Fox has got to now be Mr. Responsible. Hmm. And uh, that's the main plot point, really. <laughs> Where does Bruce Springsteen come in? So, originally the, the role of Michael J. Fox's role was offered to Bruce Springsteen because he was playing around of thinking of becoming an actor. But he was like, okay. oh, not so sure. And they offered him this role. And he was like, you know what? Actually, I don't want great script. I don't want to be an actor though. Mm. But if Joan Jett is in this, I will write the title track, Light of Day, which they perform mm -hmm. and of which the movie's named after. So that's how Bruce Springsteen is connected to it. I don't know if I would have been quite as excited by the movie if Bruce Springsteen was the lead. Exactly. It wouldn't <laughs> even have... Oh, oh, Bruce Springsteen. Did you see his daughter was in the Olympics? No. Oh, we need to talk about that. <laughs> I don't know okay. the details. She was an equestrian. Okay. I, 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 I don't know. Okay. I think she even won a medal. She won like a bronze or something. Hmm. We'll, we'll find that out. We'll find that out. We were talking about it on uh, the MKT Sports Show the other day. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll get from their highly informed sports team. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. so Bruce Springsteen's daughter was bossing it in the Olympics. Born in hmm. the USA, competes in Japan. I'm sure I got a million more puns. <laughs> <laughs> you're trying, you're trying very hard. Trying hard, so on the seat of my pants here. So this movie was a moderate success. Obviously, Michael J. Fox at this time was huge box office. Everyone would just go watch it. Um, as a, and it was, it's really 50-50. I mean, it's some, you love it, you hate it. It did well. It didn't do well. I think what we use as the litmus test on this show of how good a movie is it, mm. can you find the thing in its full form, unformatted, no funny tricks, no funny jump cuts on YouTube, mm. And, mm. and it's there. It's on YouTube. Oh, I'm so watching it this weekend. It's on YouTube. The whole thing's there. Oh, that's so exciting. You know, I remember that it had mixed reactions because people were not having mm. Michael J. Fox play this character. People were like, no, no, no. He is the clean cut mm. like, boy next door. He is not this guy. I remember that there was a backlash against that. Exactly. And that's exactly. Mm. Even I found that years, that not even that, that long after the film, he actually felt uncomfortable with it because he didn't know it was going to be this gritty. Because he was like, well... Mm. I wanted to be more serious, but that's not me at all. Um, of which, the, and, and the, the, the filmmaker said the same thing. He's like, well, I had Michael J. Fox, so I knew I had box office, but he wasn't really the guy. Where, so you say Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen probably fits this better. Yeah, you know, maybe. You, maybe. You're not yeah. watching it. But can you imagine the song scenes, Bruce Springsteen and Joan Jett? Sure. Now, true. in this movie, Michael J. Fox, actually, so he wears an earring, got long hair. He's, he was a smoker in real life, but he never smoked on screen, but for this movie, he did it. And he actually sang and played guitar, which um, he hadn't done before, even in Back to the Future, when he sings Johnny Be Good, that's not him. That was him faking, yeah. Yes. So huh. somewhere on the internet, there is a version of Michael J. Fox actually doing that. So the version before they overdubbed it. Um, hmm. So this is Michael J. Fox singing and and uh, and uh, playing guitar. We got to talk about. I mentioned Michael Douglas here. The mullets in this movie are phenomenal. <laughs> I don't know if you remember them. Well, um, I mean, not visually, like not graphically in my brain, but I can imagine oh. them. And I do remember Michael J. Fox with his longer hair. Oh. I do remember that. What a mullet! What uh, Joan Jett's mullet? The kids' mullet. It is mullet palooza over there. We talk about people not accepting him, right? I want to play you, because you don't know how believable it is. I'm going to play you the last little clip of the trailer, okay? To just go, oh, could Michael J. Fox, could I believe him as a, like a dingy rock star club guy? Mm. Take a listen for yourself. Later film, Light of Day. Anyone want to rock and roll? <laughs> I don't know if you that clearly. What he did sound like a little kid. A little yes, bit. yes. Well, he sounded like Michael J. Fox, and Michael J. Fox isn't. If Michael J. Fox is anyone on a rock and roll, it's to Johnny B. Good, not to Bruce Springsteen songs. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
But uh, look, listen, I love Michael J. Fox. So I'm not gonna, I'm not <laughs> dissing him or discrediting him at, at all. Um, fun little movie to throw at you, and I'm glad you were a fan. I imagined you were a fan. Um, that is our movies, you, Black you Rain. Imagined correctly. Yes, Black Rain and Light of Day. Kind of like linked weatherwise. <laughs> In a way. In a way. Anyway, I'm stretching it there. So on that 80 show, we're going to go to a song now. And out the back of it, you're going to hear um, Dory and Barrett spending some time with D-Ream. How did it say? D-Ream? D-Ream. Yeah, it was mostly Barrett. I think yes. I was kind of just, you know, admiring from afar. Good stuff. <laughs> Listen to the Irish accent. Lovely Irish lilts there. And then when we come back, the Chart Savants will be joining us. We're going to take it all the way back to the very beginning. How did you guys originally form? Well, it, it's interesting because I've, I've been a band my whole life off and on. And um, in this particular time in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, I was going out to a couple of nightclubs in London at the very early uh, the early house music scene. And I was kind of going around various places, trying places out. And I heard about this nightclub uh, called The Brain Hot Club, which is run by um, Adrian. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and uh, there was an artist there maybe some of your I just interject yeah. Sean McCluskey used to be in Joe Boxers he was a drummer for Joe Boxers the band from the 80s yeah. okay just, cool just, yeah. Yeah. yeah and he they were running this nightclub but what was interesting about it was it had a reputation for uh, being full of like uh, <laughs> artists and poets and musicians and DJs and all kind of uh, wannabe you know lovies that kind and uh, I was just really into the uh, the idea of meeting pe- you know interesting creative people so I ended up at this nightclub and I, Alan was a, a resident there on some of the nights I went down so um I tried not to be a fanboy, but it didn't work. Uh, we, we got introduced and um, I told him, listen, I'm, I'm a songwriter. I've got these ideas. Do you want to come and check them out? And he, I think he did it as a favor to a friend to come over and check it out, see if he could help me. But uh, on, on the mixing board was a song called You're the Best Thing. And uh, he told, the first thing he said to me was, look, make that kick drum last for 32 bars. And I was like, well, who the heck's going to listen to a you know, kick drum for 32 bars? He said, well, it's not for you. It's for other DJs to lock on. So once I kind of, we got this, this was the, the sort of, the real ping, you know, the real uh, light bulb moment. And we just took it from there. We really gelled. We got on well. And we started making good records. Well, but what we thought were good records, we, <laughs> we got through a lot of trial and error to get get them sounding right because it's a it's a hell of a job, to, as, as some producers will know, making um uh, making house music because you got to get uh, 60% of the record is, is a kick drum, you know? Yeah. So we had to figure out how to get all those sonics right. So that a long time ago now, it was like 1991. Seems like a, a lifetime ago. Well, it nearly <laughs> is, nearly 30 years. <laughs> And then from that point, how did things develop? Tell us the story of D-Ream. Well, it was, we were we were lucky, really lucky. There's quite a vibrant scene going on at the time, like in the club scene. And we came out of it and maybe we were quite an acceptable side of it, I'd say. Mm. As the times have happened, we were much more acceptable songs, you know, and just much, just a bit more commercial sounding. It wasn't commercial, but just it was, wasn't was Acid House. Mm-hmm. And it was a vibrant scene. And, a lot, and we, we were right in the thick of it. So it was quite quick, really, wasn't it? I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things, it took a while, but yeah. before things were num- number one, we'd had number one in the UK in 94. But prior to that, I think about 92, we put the first record out. It was 92, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. And we put them out ourselves and quickly, like Pete Tong made the essential tune of the week twice which yeah. has never been heard he'd never done before yeah. one was a Sasha mix one was our mix and one was a Sasha mix so it just and then he made it the essential tune of the year yeah. we were signed to a sort of independent label put ourselves then signed to an independent label just touched the charts we, and then we, Warner Brothers yeah. signed us Yeah, we, and then the gosh, whole, we were big in America weren't we on the gay scene yeah we listen a, a lot of people loved us because we were part of that whole scene that sea, sea swell of uh, positivity that was coming out of early house music and uh, we got caught up on that, that wave and you know yeah, that, that we got lucky because we, we got to we got to surf that wave. Well, and within within a year, we were on top of the pops. I mean, yeah, we did yeah. which is the yeah. UK, the big UK show. Yeah, I don't know if you know it over there. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we we had um, four singles, four top forty singles, mm. like just like that. Yeah, it was mad. So, what inspired you to create music again in 2015? What was the inspiration? How did that come about? I kind of I got free of a divorce in 2010, and I went into a very dark place. You know, life, as we all know, people is a series of ups and downs, and it's how you how you ride them how you you know you could come through them and I was out in uh, India and I met my current partner out there and uh, we were in Goa and things just sort of changed for me the interesting thing about music when, when you're in your bad place you don't want 
to create. I mean, music, you play music for a reason. Children play because they're in a childlike state. And if you're, if everything's too heavy, you're not going to produce good music. You're just going through the numbers. Yeah. So when I got to that place again, where I was in, you know, I, I, I was full of the joys of spring. Alan was just there, you know, help help me through uh, in a lot of ways. We did some gigs and, and we, I just started playing him some ideas and, and we just took it from there. I think we were working on Meet Me at Midnight, the first single, and God, it took forever. And I, I, I fall out of love with this song because it just took so long doing it um, because it's not a conventional record yet again it's it's got two different keys within it and it modulates between them verse and chorus and getting it to, to sit right was, was really you know it was a lot of work uh, really enjoyable but I just thought we're going on and on with this thing for ages and, and then the, the rest of the album seemed to just bloom within mm. like the last two years so and then with, with lockdown we were able to fine tune it yeah but you, right. you could come over from, from England and stay in my bubble and we, we did all the, the restrictions we follow all the guidance and what have you yeah. um, and, and then we and because where we are we're so remote there's no real people around here we're just us two in the studio and my partner upstairs so it's like it was really really focused and uh, and we were able to send stuff with Freddie collaborations like TJ our backing singer does, mm-hmm. and Will um, Will Parnell the percussion yeah. we're able to send the stuff which is a new whole new concept really mm-hmm. rather getting him in the studio we'd just send it and let them record it and send it back to us so it was all yeah. Yeah, it was quite a weird our, process but it was, it's our, interestingly our percussion player Will Parnell and a big shout out to him his father was a man called Jack Parnell that some of your listeners may remember he was the he was the leader of the BBC Swing Orchestra in the fifties and sixties. Oh wow! So um, I was I spent some it's time famous, yeah. I spent some time in France on holiday with Will a few years back, and uh, we were sitting with Neil Conti, you know the drummer from uh, Prefab Sprout. Ah yes, that's his best mate and, and his flatmate, right? Yeah. And uh, Neil turned around to Will and says, "He says not only are you the better drummer than me, but you're the best percussion player I've ever worked with." And Will went slightly red in the face. But to be honest, well, you know, we work with you know yeah. with computers, right? And computers are very exacting. They they lock on to a grid and it's it, there's just 100% perfect and when Will said through his percussion work it was so damn close we didn't have to tweak it or anything the feel he had I was going like I didn't know a human being could play like that <laughs> so uh, that's, that's the kind of joys the little things we discovered along the way and it's peppered across all of the records including the new record I used to believe in love it. you can really hear his, his feel all over right. the album yeah, it's really good really good um, tell me have you guys ever been to South Africa what is your perception or experience of the country I, I've been I've been to uh, Cape Town um, once I spent. I didn't spend long enough. I think I was there for two or three weeks, and I uh, had a great time. Um, Burston Bosch is that yes, place? Yes, that's uh, correct. Yeah, uh, Bromfontein. I had a. Uh, I can't remember now, but I, I bumped into a couple of. Um, it's, this is just a strange one, right? But there was a couple of local uh, ladies. Now they were much older than me, and I was in the hotel, and they were like they needed help with the garden. And you know how hot I know how hot it gets there. But um, uh, they put me in some shade, and I went over and I did about two or three hours gardening <laughs> for. And I swear to God, I did. I did. I did. And not just because I, I. I don't know why I, I took pity on them you know when you say something you're having a drink in a hotel anyway they seemed like they were you know really genuine so I went to the house and then they took me on a, a car trip around the coast I have to say it is the most stunning country it really is breathtaking as you know and uh, you know I, I would love to get back down there I really really would it's just that it's all these restrictions everywhere <laughs> <laughs> now it's sort of things it could pay to but my time there was, was fantastic and uh, pe- the people were great everywhere you went people were great. well when you get back down here you must let us know and then we'll definitely catch up and meet <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I'll be loving to go over there that's it would be great yeah. I mean I think I think I had a bad rep didn't it years ago we all know why but yeah. I think I'm yeah. like, we, we I, don't know, I, yeah. sh- I think it's getting better I, I think, I'm yeah. assuming it's getting better you, you know more than us yeah. Yeah. You know, you're always everywhere's got problems yeah. haven't they we, we have in the UK you know it's yeah. just uh, you know the world's a funny yeah, place but I, you know I, I grew up in, in Northern Ireland I grew up in Solgary I'm not far from there now and we, we had what they call the troubles you know there was nearly 4,000 people killed uh, just in this area alone uh, in, in, in those four decades yeah. and eventually they've settled they've come to an understanding now I think the Brexit thing's put a bit of a spanner <laughs> in the works but you know again yeah. uh, it, it is what it is people have and eventually we have to agree yeah <laughs> the, the, the other option is perpetual conflict is, yeah. is not good so, but no I, I loved it down there I thought it was really special and uh, I loved on the beaches the way you've got those little flags of the dogs go to the toilet I mean that's hilarious <laughs> so first of all it warns you not to go there right yeah. but then it's got work for someone you know to go and pick them up and then uh, well, you, my, my partner keeps trying to get me well she'd been trying to get to go over for safari in South Africa yeah. for, for well pre-COVID yeah. she'd been going on about it for some yeah. time which I no doubt she's going to um, she, I'm going to have to, uh, she's going to mm. beat me down until I just say yes so. I want to do that hotel that's got the um, the giraffes that come in there on breakfast oh <laughs> yes, yes, yes. yes 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 <laughs> <laughs> our, our show is all about the 80s but I know you guys were started yeah. early 90s we, we started in 91 yeah. yeah 
so what music were you guys listening to in the 80s and 90s oh well, that's a great question well Pete, well Pete and I it's funny we were talking about this before because yeah. I come from quite a soul funk background but there's yeah. sort of that new wave sort the of sound wave overlap, yeah. so we've got quite a lot but we both so, love Prince yeah, yeah. Simple Minds Eurythmics U2 Prefabs Prefab Sprout I mean all that Human what? League Heaven Human 17 League. all love that sort it. of stuff absolutely Duran Duran I love that yeah. for me I mean just yeah. we love music I mean yeah. that's the thing yeah. I like record collection yeah. I'm CD collection is something he's else. got a he's got a jealous making record collection I can tell you I've it's, kept collecting since yeah. then so it's just I, just everything I mean I just yeah. I, I mean god I, I even just things like even things like ABBA the old ABBA song is yeah. I like you know I'm not a big ABBA fan but I like some yeah. of it you know do, do you know I heard um, I heard Wham uh, Club Tropicana the other day I, I, I love Wham and, and I was like at the time I was like yeah. you know yeah, I, I was really sniffy yeah. about it yeah and then I heard it on the TV you know and my heart jumped and I went oh it's Club Tropicana because it's got that it just you know puts it. a bloody smile on your face I've always loved George and, Michael yeah just, yeah and they looked like they were having a whale of a time and I thought I want to be there I so exactly. want to be there you know it really did it's like the 70s I look I have to feel I feel a bit left behind now I, my girls my I, they're adults now I mean they're 19 and 17 and they were over with me um, a, a little while ago and I challenged them I said what, well, so what's actually what are you listening to what are you they're into um, Billie Eilish and, um, and that kind of thing and I said but what's number one in the chart yeah. and they went what <laughs> they had no idea I, I, I yeah. kind of missed that side of things because I think music is yeah. to kind of bring us all together and you know your parents kind of complaining about the younger generation but the thing about <laughs> streaming now is that what well, you've just done you've uh, just complaining about the younger generation yeah just I am like I'm complaining just like that no, yeah. because they, I don't, I just, it hasn't brought us together it's kind of yeah. ter- uh, put us apart you know in a way And but yeah they play me some stuff and I think it's alright you know but god uh, the stuff that bands back then I mean I'm just thinking as well I was right into the specials and madness and yeah. the beat and all that stuff as well I liked everything yeah. just so you know that we love all that music on that 80s show and we've actually got a Wham corner that we play every single week because Gary Palina <laughs> are Wham fanatics so just putting that out there yes have, have you did you see can I just sorry sorry to interrupt but did you see when George was caught uh, he's smoking uh, in, in Hampstead he was smoking uh, you know what and he was in his uh, big Range Rover he he lost control of it and it, it drove and crashed into the side of a hairdresser did you see what they wrote the next morning when they removed the the, the, the the Range Rover he'd left yeah. a big dent in the wall and some fan had come up and written wham right over the hole it was just brilliant that's always yeah, stayed yeah. with me you know you don't know what we've been through <laughs> you think we joke you think we joke about the chart savant and his savantish ways messing with technology? It's all true. It's also very true. Welcome, Barrett, the chart savant. Welcome back to that 80 show. Of course, we heard you there speaking to Dereem, um, saying to Dory earlier that they're a really nice bunch of guys. You know, it was so much fun interviewing them. You know, they were so down to earth. We had a, we had a good laugh. A good, good lot. Sounded like it. Sounded like it. So you're back here. Oh, oh, and of course, if you want to hear that full interview, that was half of it. If you want to hear that full interview, you can find it. All you have to do, we've made it so easy for you because Dory and I, well, mainly me, I'm a simple person. <laughs> and I thought, how can I help other simple people? And if you want to listen to that 80 show, the Dream interview, a podcast of the show, all our other interviews, you just have to go and type in that 80 show essay. That's as simple as that. You'll find a website. You'll find the podcasts. You'll find, to be honest, we so badly want you to listen to the show. And Dory, Dory, you have mine and Dory's commitment. We will put it on a TDK cassette tape <laughs> and we'll put it in a boom box and we'll come stand on your front lawn and we'll play the show to you. That's how much. So if you want any of that, that 80 show essay, that, that's all you need to remember and you'll get the full D-Ream interview up there. But now, Wait, wait, I just want to warn people that they must definitely rather get the podcast because if you're standing on their lawn in a trench coat, you're not wearing anything under it. That's true. It's also, I like to think, in these days of climate change, it's also more environmentally friendly to do it on the internet. Mm. So I'm just eco-warrior. So the reason you listened to the show today was for <laughs> the charts of Und. Let's get to him before he collapses the whole internet with his static electricity. So the charts of Und, what Barrett does, Barrett loves charts. He monitors charts. And what he does is he goes back to the 80s and he picks a year, a US or American, or <laughs> US or UK chart. I do that all the time. US or UK chart. And he plays a top five. And Dory and I have to guess the year, 
US, UK, and the month. Yep, and we had a clue from Barrett. Yes. yes. Um, Barrett, remind us of the clue. The military. The military. The military. So the first thing I thought of when you said that was the song in the army now. So did I. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm close. It's the first thing I thought of. Absolutely not. <gasps> Always made it hard this week. The next option would be 19 by Paul Hardcastle. That would be my next guess. No, 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 no. Oh, I'm so on the wrong track here. Okay, what, never mind. What I'm thinking so, is, remember in the 80s, there were like Peter, Dirk, Ace, and um, Leon Schuster movies about the army. When were those released? <laughs> that's, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, Paula, you, you've gone on a tangent now that we're never going to get you back from. No one knows how the chart savant's mind works. Not even the chart savant. <laughs> so we've got five songs. These are the top five songs from five to number one. We need to guess year, month, US or UK. Barrett, can I play song number one or do you have an intro? No, intro first. So this is up from eight to number five. It eventually got to number one. It is by Michael Damien, Rock On. And this Michael Damien, also very well-known soap opera actor, he played Danny Romolato in the soap Young and the Restless from 1980 to 1998, and a numerous other appearance through the 2000s. So this is Michael Damien with Rock On. Dari, why did we play that song a few weeks ago? Um, I can't remember. I mean, it's a big one-hit wonder. But it, I also it. was like, we spoke about this recently. Why yes. did we speak about it? Yes. So we know that song. I don't remember. Right, <laughs> we okay. Do. Number five. So number four is... Up from number five, eventually hitting number two. This is where the clue came in. It's by singer Donny, Donny Osmond, becoming his comeback hit. The track was uh, was not a re initially released in this country, as Osmond did not have a record deal here. And it's Soldier of Love by Donny Osmond at number four. Mm, so Barry, wow, just... That is a sugary sweet song. Oh, it's an Osmond. What do you expect? <laughs> so Barrett, you're saying that the chart this was on, he yes. didn't have a record deal in the country yet. At the time. So it was released in other countries because he had record, a record deal in those countries. But in this specific country, he was not on a record deal. So it was not released. But then it gained traction through radio play and it was then eventually released. Okay. I think I know the country. Right. Me too. I also do. Yes. Song number three. So, uh, song number three, down from number one, uh, released as a third single from the album New Jersey, is Bon Jovi, I'll Be There For You. Mm. Always love a bit of mm -hmm. Bon Jovi in there. Mm. Right. Song number two, Barrett. Yes. Now, the next two songs are two of my favorite artists. Um, from three to number two, staying at number two, is Jody Watley with Real Love. And this song was nominated for six MTV Video Music Awards, including Breakthrough Video, Best Art Direction, Best Dance Video, and Best Female Video. This is Jody Watley with Real Love. I'm quite confused, actually. <laughs> what a great song. Cool yes. song. Cool mm -hmm. song. And then number one, who is this? Because Barrett said two of his favorite artists. Who would this be? So number one, up from number four in this week. And just the accompanying music video for the song was directed by David Fincher and featured Paul Abdul acting as a choreographer and director of a children's performance. And did you know that six-year-old Trevor Wright, eight-year-old Elijah Wood, and 10-year-old Nikki Cox were among the dancers in this music video? This is Paul Abdul for Reveal Your Girl. That is the chart savant. If your phone is not working, if your internet went down, don't phone anyone. It's the chart savant. He tends to do that to technology because of his static electricity and his factoids about charts. We need to guess. US or UK, year, month. Dory, I'm confused. I, I'm really leaning towards the US. That was all very American sounding stuff. Uh, Jody Watley. Mm. But when he mm. said Donny Osmond, didn't yeah. have a record deal in this country. He'd definitely have a deal in America. Did he? Do yeah. we know this for a fact? I mean, how much do you know about Donny Osmond, really? Listen, we know that the family is like a staple of America. Mm. Like, how could he not have a record deal in the US? I don't know. 
I because don't know, it, I, I still, it, it still is very, very US American sound. to me. I mean, the, 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 so song number five. I mean, where else is an American soap opera star going to get in the top five unless it's America? But why would Danny Osmond, Danny Osmond, not have a record deal in America? Well, I'm sure we'll find out. <laughs> I'm going with America. I might be wrong. I'm going with it. Okay, I'll follow you, Dory, because I'm very confused. Yes, you are correct. It is America. Well it's done. Not, it was not uh, signed to any record label at the time. That's mad. You know, record labels are very finicky with record sales. If you aren't doing well for a period of time, they, uh, with sales, they look at the numbers, numbers, you know, they checking bottom line all the time, and if there's a little drop, they drop you. So he was not on a record label, and it was actually released in the UK first, the year before 1988, and it went top 30, I think it got to 28, 25, don't, know, I ha don't have my UK book with me at the moment, but it got around 28, 25 in the UK, and from Airplay and Buzz, it got picked up in the US, and he was signed, and eventually got to number two in the USA, 1980. <laughs> Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> well played, Dory. Now you know something you did not know. Well played. Now, mm -hmm. I'm going late 80s, and I'll tell you why. That Bon Jovi song, uh, I remember, so I only went to high, into high school in the 90s, and I remember like one of our first dances, high school dance, I would have been standing at six, 1993, and mm. that song was played, Valentine's Dance. Mm. So I'm thinking for it to still have been relevant, maybe was four or five years old. Yeah. 1989 or 88? I think 89 is a good guess. Hey? Mm. I really do. I think we should go with 89. Barrett, we're locking in 1989. You are correct. Yes. <laughs> 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 You're right so far, but I add a bit of confusion there. Now give me the month. <laughs> oh, this yeah. is the worst part. This sucks. I mean, pick a month. <laughs> I know. I know. Let's go. I'm going to randomly say July. <laughs> I'm going October. So let's meet in oh, the last week of August, first week of September. Let's, I don't know, Dory. July, September. Let's go, with, let's go with September. Let's just do it. September, Barrett. No, <laughs> so it's May the 20th, 1989. The week I was closer with July. You were, well done. <laughs> I misled you. So I, I, I'm glad I uh, created a bit of confusion. I thought it was going to be so easy, but I did create some confusion. So yay for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well done. What was and it? Your clue, your clue was very obscure. Oh, huge. Mm. And and the worst part is it made me think of Leon Schuster movies. <laughs> Which you think is a sin none of us can ever recover from. <laughs> so that is the charts of on Barry said week of May the twentieth, nineteen eighty nine. Ah, that's correct. U.S. charts, great songs in there, fun, fun stuff. I think number two is my favorite. Jody Watley's the winner out of that bunch for me. <laughs> uh, and my, mine is the Bon Jovi because I, I maybe slow danced with a girl and had a kiss, and that's always Ooh, that's that's exciting. always it's always nice for me. Uh, we're signing off. On that 80s show, uh, there's so much stuff today. D-Ream interview, uh, movies, Black Rain and Light of Day. Uh, Michael J. Fox, Joan Jett and Bruce Springsteen all said in the same sentence. Anything you hear on the show, you can find on that 80s show. S.A., just quickly, I'm not going to let it go without this. We found last week Simon Le Bon is everyone's drunk mm -hmm. uncle on Island yep. Holiday. Dory, where did you find this week's video? I mean, have you ever? Have you oh ever? Now, and this is now becoming a thing. It has Elton to be. John. Elton John. I mean, the place is packed. It's like this beachfront restaurant With bar. cool young people. So many people. And Elton John gets behind what's like the DJ box. Yeah. And he starts singing. And if, I, I, I'm like thinking, oh, my God, everyone not, everyone's not going to know who he is. And oh, it's no. going to be so awkward. And meanwhile, then everyone starts cheering. Phones out. I was just like, how is this happening now in the time of – COVID. Everyone is on top of each other, not a mask in sight. I'm like, the rest of the world is living. They're oh no, living. but exactly. But this is like Ibiza or Greece or something where a lot of people are vaccinated. So that's yeah. the lesson to everyone. I think it was actually Ibiza specifically. Yeah. Exactly. If you get vaccinated, Alton John will sing and listen. <laughs> the DJ is playing like some sort of mega mix of sacrifice, and he yeah. sings that into what was the other song he sings? Oh my God. Oh, uh, Alton John remember. live mega mixes his songs, right? Live. 
I mean, that is the, so listen to everyone, anti-vax, vax, whatever you are, but just know that in places where a lot of people are vaxxed, Alton John is singing mega mixes live. Okay, so just- And Alton John, who is in his 70s, let's oh remember, God. looking like a sprightly young lad. I've got to say about Alton John, right? Yeah. We saw him, okay, probably going back about 10 years. He sang for about two hours, his voice didn't falter once. Mm. You know? Really, really so, amazing. Listen, all I'm saying, whichever, whichever side you sit on, I'm not saying vax, anti-vax, whatever. I'm just saying the proof is out there. Alton John sings Mega Mixes live. Do we not want that? So <laughs> just so you know, he and Dua Lipa have now got a collab happening that, are, that is climbing the charts, which is a mix of one of his old songs. It might be Sacrifice, I think it is, with her singing one of his other songs, all mixed uh, singing like along to mashup. So it might have been that that he was busy playing around with. What's a Dua Lipa? Mm. Is there really 18 Ibiza? I've got to tell you, it's been quite a trek to get to the end of the show. It's been interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Barrett and Dory, for going with me on this journey. <laughs> <laughs> and, and thank and thank you everyone for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.